The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Welcome to Beside Still Waters. Today we're considering the problem or difficulty with choice. The paradox of choice. Part of the problem or difficulty with choice is that we don't have the advantage of foreknowledge. Freedom of choice creates conundrums because we are exercised in the effort to eliminate risk. And this is where foreknowledge comes in. We cannot foresee what is coming in the future. Hence, we are unable to eliminate risk. Romans 5 and 12 tells us that the cosmos is riddled with risk. We are told, as by one man's sin, one man's transgression, that is, Adam, motivated and fueled by self-will, sin entered the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men. Risk is therefore stamped on every facet of life, mixed into every outcome, and ultimately portends to our destruction. It is unavoidable. Now, when we think of eternal life, this adds complexity to the equation because God's original design was for mankind to have an eternal existence. Death was not part of the equation. We were not designed to die, but rather we were designed for a continuous, unbroken enjoyment of God in all of his infinite attributes and complexities. The divinely given attribute of free will complicates the matter of choice. And the exercise of choice introduces risk that the word and plan of God would not come to pass as intended, if that were even possible. God's design for men in aggregate would not be accomplished because mankind chooses to exercise his will in selecting outcomes other than God's will. Yet God made his creation, that is, man, and angelic with free wills. As the divine narrative shows, both entities, man and angelic, chose a path that introduces the paradox of choice and the consequences that we would 
uh, endure would be in an eternal state. As I mentioned before, we were made for eternity. And the consequences or blessings would be enjoyed for eternity. And so the paradox of choice, the consequences associated with this paradox extend beyond time and goes right into eternity. But we won't address that right now. We're just looking at the paradox. And so when we think of men and angels, both entities, to some degree, chose their own way. And that way was in rebellion against God. Now, men are exercised in an effort to extricate themselves from the negative effects of this paradox if they should choose what is in their best interests only. And so, to make a choice as would benefit one's self means that this would be done at the expense of another. And we will see as we continue in this uh, podcast. And so with free will comes the gift of autonomy. We are like God in that we are autonomous beings. We stand on the merits or consequences of our choices apart from any other influence. In fact, this was sort of the the carrot on the stick when Satan tempted Eve and ultimately led to Adam's uh, transgression. This was the proverbial surprise behind door number one. This was the beautiful package with our name on it for Christmas, but what was inside was a great unknown. And add to the complexity is the second part of that temptation that that, uh, Satan presented Eve with. That is, we would be like God, knowing good and evil. And I want to say that therein lies the Trojan horse. Would we truly know good and evil? Or would we have the power to prevent the evil? In fact, when Solomon, uh, in writing the book of Ecclesiastes, that short book was riddled with this statement, that all is vanity and chasing of the wind. We would never be able to catch the wind. We would never be able to get the thing, the commodity, the outcome that we want while simultaneously extracting the evil from this paradox. The problem with choice is, if I choose in my own self-interest, there's an element of evil that's embedded in it. Someone else will have to pay the price for me benefiting. And if I choose to benefit another at my expense, then I suffer loss. And so the 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 difficulty with this paradox is I cannot, a man cannot extricate that one component that sooner or later someone, whether it be myself or future generation or another person, someone would have to suffer. We would never be able to get the commodity we are desiring 
while simultaneously extracting this little evil component. And this is the paradox of choice. Can a man choose an outcome purely out of self-interest and avoid the attending evil of that choice? Or is that man constrained to act in a manner that mitigates the evil, which ultimately means he is sacrificing personal benefit? That's the key. And we're going to see this in the life of uh, King Hezekiah. But for the moment, I just want you to give thought to that. And I want to reiterate that again. The, the, the paradox, the issue here is, can a man choose an outcome, make a decision, accept a, a reality, purely out of self-interest, and avoid the, the attending evil of that choice, or an evil that's associated with that choice, or is that man constrained to act in a manner that mitigates the evil, which simply means, ultimately, he would be sacrificing the personal benefit associated with his choice. Now, I want to say that there are a few points we need to consider. Firstly, God overrides our mortal existence with the exercise of his sovereign will simply because, number one, he sees the end from the beginning and often decrees what is for our benefit, albeit it appears to be packaged in a way that we often miss his purpose. And this purpose is usually embedded in our trials. More to say on that. Secondly, God sees the event and the, the multitude of outcomes associated with that event. And in seeing the multitude of outcomes, God will often do what brings glory to God when the true purpose of that trial has been uncovered. Case in point, the entire life history of Job. Thirdly, God sees the consequences or the results associated with each outcome. Should we choose the path of self-will and be motivated by self-interest, he sees that outcome. If we choose the path that blesses another at our expense, he sees the attending outcomes, the results of that choice, and what advantage both options have, whether it be to ourselves at the expense of another or at the expense of our, to ourselves and for the blessing and benefit of another. Thus, when God chooses the outcome, as he did in King Hezekiah's case, I believe we often feel a sense of frustration because we only view the event from the vantage point of it not being a benefit to us. We lack the foresight necessary to choose the correct next step wisely. We are often making choices from the vantage point of self-interest. This is what motivates us in so many of the decisions we have to make, 
What's in it for me? How do I benefit? And that is the only good that we see in our circumstance. And more often than not, we will seek to drive personal benefit into existence. But if we could see the panorama of the choice and the outcomes, would we in all likelihood refuse to choose a self-interest-driven objective? My friends, I want to say we lack the purity of heart and the purity of mind to choose the outcomes for the right reasons. That is, for the glory of God. And sadly, this is part of our fallen nature. We are driven by self-interest. As uh, Paul can write to the, uh, as he wrote to the letter to the Romans, that all we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way. And that is the stamp on our motives, our own way. We are self-centered and corrupt at the core in our hearts. We are often motivated by self-will, we are often driven by self-interest. We are often influenced by the desire for personal betterment only. And the last consideration that we want to uh, give credence to <laughs> is to do something, to make a decision, to sacrifice the immediate benefit to ourselves for the blessing of others. That's probably the last of our consideration. And so now let's, let's take a look at King Hezekiah because at the scriptures, the Spirit of God says that there was no king like King Hezekiah. He was instrumental in resurrecting the, the national spiritual walk of the nation with God, more so the southern kingdom, but he also reached out to the northern kingdoms. And if you could see when you read the narrative of his reign, uh, that there were those from the northern kingdom that defected to King Hezekiah. Uh, he was instrumental in resurrecting the Passover remembrance and all the ceremonies that attends the Passover. And this had not been done since Solomon's day. He devoted his life to walking with Jehovah. And he also, uh, under his leadership, uh, was instrumental in bringing to pass certain social engineering feats in Jerusalem, like causing the water to be diverted and passed through the city, the capital city. He literally attempted to reunite the nation. But alas, the day came when he, like us, would be faced with the paradox of choice, and that is the day of his death. And so I ask you, how can a man choose an outcome, knowing that if he elects to make himself the beneficiary, uh, beneficiary of his decision, then there is all likelihood that those after him would probably suffer loss. In his case, if his life is extended, he would eventually hear how tragedy is coming. If he died as God planned, he would be spared the knowledge that his own son, Manasseh, would be the catalyst for spiritual decline. He would be the cause of 
the southern kingdom going into captivity. But if he chooses God's decree regarding his life in the day of death, he would also never commit the error that he did when he uh, uh, showed, if you will, uh, kindness to the ambassadors of Babylon and become boastful in showing all of his riches as well as accomplishments. Before I continue with his decision, keep in mind that the Lord Jesus Christ also faced the paradox of choice. The paradox of choice. In Colossians chapter 1, 16 and 17, we are told that uh, we are told of his divine existence and how by his power, the word of his power, the universe subsists. That is everything in the heavens and everything on the earth. And this existence was his to enjoy, and rightly so. Additionally, the Lord Jesus Christ created man in his image and likeness. And of their own free will, mankind rebelled against him and brought upon themselves the consequences, the consequence of their choice, which was death. Yet, the Son of God subjected himself to the same paradox in that if he chose to rescue us, it would result in the loss of his life. Colossians 1 and 20 tells us he made peace by the blood of his cross. The immediate choice was, I go to the cross, they will have opportunity for peace with God and eternal life. In fact, verse 21 of the same chapter says, And you, who were once alienated and enemies in mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and unblameable and irreproachable in his sight. So for the Lord Jesus, here is the paradox. He could continue his existence as the Son of God, holy and enjoying the worship of angelic hosts, and allow men to suffer the consequences of their choice and eternal damnation, and rightly so, or he can choose the incarnation which points to his death, but it would be the means of our blessing. If he chose to allow us the freedom of choice and all the consequences associated with our choices, the Lord Jesus would continue his existence in an unbroken, uninterrupted, pure enjoyment of eternal bliss with the Father and the Spirit of God and the worship of all angelic beings. And we would be condemned to eternal loss and separation from God. But if he chose the love of the creatures that he created and want to spend eternity with them, it would necessitate the cruelty of the cross. The paradox. Preserve the divine state and give man the consequences of his choice. And this bears repeating. 
but no treasures of grace. No redeeming humanity to fellowship with throughout all eternity. Or the option, the other option would be initiate the incarnation which necessitates the laying down of his life and becoming the divinely sent sin offering. Suffering now and seeing later the results of the travail of his soul wherein he will be satisfied. Isaiah 53, 11. Again, preserve the divine state. And this is an important uh, point. If he preserves the divine state, Love is not evidenced. We won't know this attribute of God, and that is that God is love. But if he chooses to display love and initiate a sacrificial offering and laying down of his life, the suffering would be immediate, the blessings would be sure to follow. And so, my friend, I would say to you, don't aspire to be like God. <laughs> Sometimes we do. <laughs> but don't aspire to be like God. Because the elements of that paradox are inescapable. Inescapable. We don't have the foresight to know what is the best decision, given the circumstances that we're facing. And so we are resigned to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. Trust Him for wisdom. Trust Him for guidance. Trust Him for insight. For help to do what brings glory to God. And I want to say this. This is the, perhaps the most important point. God is love. Of all the attributes that God possesses, love is the one attribute that mitigates the paradox of choice. Love thinks of the other. Love causes us to ask, who's the beneficiary of my response, of my choice? Love has as its objective the good of another. And with that objective, this choice paradox is part and parcel of the dynamic. If I do you good, it might likely be at my expense. If I withhold the good, I will be benefited, but you might experience loss. And I have tarnished the noble purity of love. Love. Love mitigates the paradox of choice. Let's turn the corner a bit. Satan. Satan faced the paradox of choice in that his action to rebel against the living God would be an unprecedented exercise of free will. There would be nothing like this. Heavenly hosts with their high level of intelligence choose to worship God and yet when you think of the enormity of that rebellion, that one of the uh, angelic hosts would think of rebelling against God and garner support for such a plan to usurp divine authority, establish the worship of another entity, that is himself, and he doesn't even possess 
uh, divine attributes. And he literally would bring chaos into the heavenly realm. This, this, is, this is perhaps the, the, the ultimate act of rebellion. And I personally have thought through the paradox that, that Lucifer would have uh, faced. And that is, worship the living God and no other entity and no other reality and enjoy unbroken bliss or rebel against the living God possess true autonomy, but with it are all the unknown attending consequences. I don't think he considered the lake of fire as his ultimate end, but obviously he came to know that that would be his end and all angelic beings who rebelled. And so let's, let's, let's bring our thoughts together and address the solution. The solution is simple. Trust and devotion. Trust and devotion. This is where walking with God removes the pain of this paradox and provides peace when facing this paradise. The issue is trust. Trust. The wisest man, Solomon, said this in Proverbs 3, Five and six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. The problem with choice is you cannot control the consequences, nor can the consequences be mitigated. They are fixed entities associated with your choice. Let's visit a circumstance, just for example. Uh, the life of King Hezekiah. When his life and reign were examined, we find much good accomplished. As I mentioned before, revival occurred in the nation. Uh, and by revival, I mean the, the resumption of uh, Israelites, establishing a ceremoniously correct relationship with God. Uh, as I mentioned, they kept the Passover, which had never been done since the time of Solomon. He did much good in uh, fortifying the borders of Judah and Benjamin. There were notable engineering feats. Okay, which one of them was that they brought water, you know, they re-diverted one of the streams and caused the water to pass through the capital city. In addition, he was instrumental in the defeat of Sennacherib, more by his intercessory praying, uh, Sennacherib the Assyrian, by virtue of a devoted life. And he, along with the prophet Isaiah, prayed on behalf of the people. And so with all of those accomplishments on his resume as a leader, the day came when he knew of his death. And that was it. He was informed of this pending death, and the news was given in, in such a, as a matter-of-fact way, with no fanfare. Isaiah showed up, that is the prophet Isaiah, and he says to him in so many words, Get your house in order, for you will die and not live. Plain and simple. And so, like that, circumstances sometimes enter into our lives, and it creates sadness. It comes in with a sort of cruel psychological impact. Tragedy, disappointment, often feels like a slap in the face. And so this can lead people down the path of cynicism. It causes them to question, how can God do this to me? Or is there a God? And the force with which events like this enters 
sometimes just leaves us bewildered. And it leaves us examining our hearts for meaning. What's the meaning of this tragedy? And so this king was given a unique opportunity, which was a divine reprieve was granted. He was given a reprieve. And here it is. Here are some of the things we learn when we examine his circumstance. Often, number one, there's mercy embedded in sorrow. Jehovah granted him mercy. But in granting him mercy in extending his life, King Hezekiah didn't have foreknowledge concerning his offspring, Manasseh, and how he, that is Manasseh, would be the instrument that would lead the southern tribes into ruin. How would you feel about your, your, your son or daughter knowing that he or she would be instrumental in causing the destruction of all that you worked for and invested yourself for good? What would you choose? Would you choose the end of your life with no view into the future? Or would you choose to know that your life has been extended but your offspring would be the cause of much pain and sorrow. Hezekiah wanted mercy. He wanted the reprieve. And he said, remember now, O Lord, I pray you, remember how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart. This king was asking for a reprieve. Now, we don't know whether he wanted to continue to do good or he wanted his life extended for some blessing, but ultimately, he wanted a reprieve from the divine sentence. And for many of us, it simply stops there. We know our end has come. We have no window into the future, but is God doing us a favor by bringing our lives to a close? Is he showing us mercy? Secondly, God's decrees seem unjust. For this man, the decree seemed unjust. In the 20th chapter of 2 Chronicles, verse 3, he says, Remember me. Remember me. And he went on to say, I did what was good in your sight. And then he wept bitterly. And this response tells me, in fact, that sometimes the very the deepest sentiments of my heart say so much more than my lips could say. But what he is, in fact, saying is God is unjust. I've done so much good. And now it's about to end. Remember me. And regardless of what we state concerning our beliefs, our reaction, our response, our words, our tears, all tell the story of the essence of our heart's desire, the deepest sentiments of our being. We are passing a commentary on the works of God. So let us be honest <laughs> by saying many of us resist the decrees of God and secretly, by virtue of our tears or complaints, we count God as being unjust. Here's the third thing we learn in uh, King Hezekiah's circumstance. 
we learn about God's urgent compassion. You see, this is the turning point in the narrative of this man's life. As the prophet Isaiah perhaps walked maybe 200 feet, I'm guesstimating, and before he was told by Jehovah, return and give a word to this king that God has heard his prayer. And it was a short prayer, but long tears. And this is important, my friends, because he uttered a short request and the rest was expressed in the abundance of his tears, which told of his sorrow, his regret that his life is coming to an end. And God heard the sentiment of his heart and extended his life. He was saying, grant me a reprieve from this sentence. Now, God does for this king, which he does not do for us. And that is, gives a view into the future when God answers our prayer. This king was provided the privilege of knowing that the future, as a result of his answered prayer, would result in sorrow. And it was also to be noted that this glimpse into the future came after his heart was lifted up in pride. As I mentioned before, when he showed kindness to the ambassadors of Babylon, he showed them all the riches, wealth, and accomplishments of his kingdom. But he was, in fact, boasting about it. So when God brings an end to our purposes, maybe even to our lives, I ask you this. Is God preventing us from committing some grave error or sin in the not-too-distant future? This was what happened to King Hezekiah. If he had died... His good would have been sealed. It would have been in the annals of the records of the kings. He would never have known about Manasseh's apostasy and the destruction of the southern kingdom. He would not have made the error of boasting in pride to the ambassadors of Babylon. All this would never have been done. But it occurred because he was granted a reprieve. And this is the paradox when we expand it and look at the details. Number one, you don't know how you will fail in the future. You don't know. You don't know how you might fail God. The king of Babylon sent a word to Hezekiah as a comforting gesture because he was ill. But the king Hezekiah used this as an opportunity to showcase his achievements and his wealth which was an error in the sight of God because he was boasting. He did not accomplish it. It was the grace and mercy of God, the goodness of God. And he was told in prophetic expression that all this wealth, all of this achievement will be taken away, destroyed, and his sons and, and, and you know the, 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 the tribe, the southern tribes, taken into captivity. And all Hezekiah could say is that the Lord's word was good and there will be peace in my lifetime. And I think this was sad. But essentially what he says is, well, while I'm alive, there'll be peace. There'll be peace. And he had no thought for the future beyond himself. And if he had died at the time appointed, he would never have made the error that he did with the ambassadors of Babylon. And as a result of this error, he was told that all this wealth would be captured and ferreted away. 
his sons would become prisoners. And I ask you this question, would it not have been better for him to have died at the time appointed, knowing that God was in fact granting him mercy in not being given disappointing news? The paradox of choice brings us to the crossroads, which is, do I accept the obvious evidence of the decree of God in my circumstance and to do so with equanimity, with poise, quietness of heart and mind? Or do I cry out to God to change my fate, knowing what mercies God may have already embedded in this circumstance? Do I ask for a reprieve, knowing that perhaps future sorrow may be around the corner, future heartache? Or do I act in a benevolent way and ask God for grace to accept his decree, knowing that he does all things well and to bring glory to his name? And so that brings us to the final point, my friends, and that is unbridled trust. Unbridled trust. How do we circumvent this paradox? What is the response that ensures God's mercies are received? God is glorified when I do one thing. And Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says it clearly. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. This is the only way that the paradox of choice is mitigated. It is mitigated by handing over our circumstances to God to make the choice of what is good for me and those after me. Un bridled trust in God to orchestrate the circumstances and the outcomes in my life that will bring glory to him and him alone. And the end result will be for my growth in the Lord Jesus Christ. When our Lord Jesus gave himself as an offering to God for a sweet aroma, and we find this in Ephesians 5 and 1. When he gave, when he laid down his life, he rescued us from eternal loss. His life was lived as a sweet aroma in submission to God. This is Ephesians 5.1. Read it for yourselves. And we became the beneficiaries of that sweet sacrifice to God. The problem with, that's associated with the paradox of choice can never be circumvented. And again, the problem is, if I act in self-interest, I reap the immediate benefit someone loses in the future. If I sacrifice myself and the good that I would want, someone may benefit. But the way for the disciple of our Lord Jesus, the way for the devotee, the way for the Christian who is walking with God beside still waters is to leave the choice to God, leave the outcome to God, 
and ask him for grace that we might trust him with all our hearts and not lean unto our own understanding. Even the Lord Jesus alluded to this when he said, uh, when the disciples asked him to teach us to pray, the Lord Jesus alluded to this in that model of praying. He says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, your will. And that is the way that the, this paradox that's embedded in our choices can be mitigated. Rather than trying to make the decision, should I do so for the good of another? Should I do so for the good of myself? My prayer ought to be to ask God for the grace to trust him implicitly to do what brings him glory and not lean on my own understanding. The highest good that addresses the paradox is one truth in the scripture. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Oh God, give us grace today to do exactly that, to trust you with all of our hearts for your pleasure and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in. And we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.